You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is victoria your dog guru and today we are answering more of your questions so i'm starting right from the top i've got about oh a handful to get to today and uh let's get right into it my first one comes from monica and monica writes i recently started listening to your show and have just finished catching up i love listening and learning so many things about parenting uh, I've been dying to get a puppy since before I got married and finally got my husband of three years on board too. He's been worried about the commitment and our crazy commutes for work, uh, have, which have only been an additional barrier because we're already gone eight hours a day for work. Things look like they'll be changing for the better in the next few months as we change jobs and shorten our respective commutes a bit. We're hoping to get a puppy around mid-August. The question is, we've had some people tell us that if we get a puppy... Then we should get two so that they can keep each other company while we're at work. What do you think about that? Is that a thing? <laughs> I've only recently started hearing about this. I'm not sure if it's the best idea. We're not necessarily first-time dog owners. We each had a family dog when we were kids, but neither of us have been the primary caregiver either. Uh, we want our puppy to be happy and healthy and as much as possible... And as much as possible, not feel lonely, but we're worried about the amount of work and time and dedication needed to fully train two puppies at the same time. While I have your attention, I was wondering if you had a breed recommendation for us. I just listened to your episode about canines and coffee where you recommend an English golden. We have had a similar disagreement about the fur length, so we'll probably go for a median length fur as well. But our situation is a little different since we're both working outside of the home. I try to stay active and would be... Uh, I tried to stay active and would try to make the puppy. I try to stay active and would try to meet the puppy's energy needs, but he or she would likely go eight to 10 hours a day without human interaction, without human interaction or a walk. We haven't talked yet about hiring a dog walker, but it is something that has to be in the budget or, but is that. We haven't talked about hiring a dog walker, but is that something that has to be in the budget or are there breeds that would be okay with that kind of alone time? While it's a puppy, we'll take your advice about crating and getting a pen. I know you're not a fan of potty pads, but we might have to since we'll be gone for so long and won't have and it won't have the bladder capacity for a while. However, as I write this email, I'm feeling that maybe we won't be the best parents. <laughs> what do you think? Should we wait a little longer? I didn't foresee of either of us not having a traditional 40-hour work week in the near future. Oh. I don't foresee either of us not having a traditional 40-hour work week in the near future. Thank you, Monica, from Southern California and all the traffic that comes with it. Hi, Monica. Okay, so I have several thoughts on your email. I think that your hearts are in the right place. However... The 8 to 10 hour time frame that you just mentioned, I'm going to be really honest with you, is a bit unrealistic. Now, I know that there are people right now listening and going, well, I go to work every day and my dog is fine. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's probably not fine. Unless it's a senior dog uh, and or you've got some sort of 
dynamic going that works. Um, you know, dogs are not as sedentary. It depends on the breed to a certain extent, but sedentary is not a thing that you're going to see in puppies. You know, they the first eight weeks of their life is the most sedentary they are until they're seniors. So, you know, when you think about it in terms of what the dog's needs are and how you're going to meet them and accommodate those needs, realistically, 10 hours a day with no human interaction or a walk, to me, would not would be a reason I wouldn't get a dog. It really would. Um, I actually know several breeders that will not give puppies up to families that are going to be gone 10 hours a day with no one home. Um, so to answer your, your other question, you know, is a dog walker necessary? In your case, 100% it'd be necessary. Uh, but I would question in the first place if it's realistic to have a dog. Um, you know, dogs do need a lot of one-on-one. They are like two-year-olds. Um, and certain stages are more challenging than others. And he can't live his life from a crate. He's not going to be able to not live his life from a crate if the only interaction he gets with you is just, you know, a snippet of time in the evening. You know, because think about it. You're going to be tired. You know, you might be excited to see the puppy, but you're definitely not going to be ready to ramp up for an hour's class of group classes somewhere necessarily if you've just gotten out of a a commute like you're describing. Um, and I've been in California. I totally understand. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I love the idea of people being dog owners. I also love the idea of people being responsible with the thought process when it comes to owning a dog. I'm here to tell you that, you know, an idyllic situation, even with a work week, you know, you've got some significant commute times and you're not seeing, you know, what you described is you're not seeing any of that change in the future. Well, that to me is a long day for a dog to be solo. Um, you know, to answer your other question, would I recommend getting another dog to keep him company? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because now you've got your hands full with two dogs. Um, it's not even a, a maybe to me. The people that recommend that aren't also thinking of, well, they only learn the bad stuff from one another and they're going to be spending so much time together that they're not going to bond with the owner um, the way that they they could have, um, which means when you try and pull rank because they're destroying the house together like two little wrecking balls, you know, no matter how small or big they are, that's a challenge that you now have to divide and conquer. So now it's like, you know, your spouse has one dog that they have to train one-on-one and you have a dog that you're having to train one-on-one. You're both having to go to classes. If, you know, I mean, a dog is a real commitment. You know, it's not something where I, I'm not going to be the kind of trainer that says, yeah, any situation is suitable for an animal because it's not. And the reason you won't hear me say that is because I focus a lot in aggression and anxiety and largely those behaviors started at home. And, you know, with anxiety-based behaviors, if a dog, if a puppy goes from, you know, having litter mates and interaction with a breeder or even in a, an adoption situation, they come home and there's just complete silence and nothing to do all day and they, they're expected to hold it. Or even if they're not expected to hold it, you know, potty pads don't fill the void of the experience they get outside. You know, they're absolutely going to need at least two walks a day. So if that isn't in the budget, then neither the the dog should really be um, something you put in your peripheral because until your schedule is settled down, um, you know, I know lots of people that have dogs and have very full schedules. Those same people are the ones that called me with problems. 
So, I mean, I can't say one without ignoring the other. And I can't ignore the fact that, you know, dogs who are, I mean, essentially to a dog emotionally, if I'm, if I were being really, really honest, that would feel like neglect because they go from having interaction with their litter mates, um, or, you know, if they're a little older, you know, interaction with a foster or at an adoption center and they're getting some attention and all of a sudden, you know, you're like, okay, I gotta go. I've had my bagel and hope you have a good day. You know, living a life from a crate or a pen, um, is not a life. You might consider something, and you could not do this in, initially because the dog won't be old enough, but, you know, something like a doggy daycare or a neighbor that might be willing to pop in and check on, on the dog. You know, you need, but the other thing that, you know, really strikes me about this is that you have really good intentions. And if you're worried about the emotional welfare of this dog, this is where it, I, I would put a pause on it. Because emotionally, while mechanically you could be making all of the accommodations on the surface, emotionally, you could end up with a dog that's very bonded. And when you, you know, take your coffee and go about your day and are about to go uh, to work and the both of you are gone, there's going to be an obscene feeling of, of withdrawal. And that develops into other problems, um, either more like more um, obnoxious behaviors when you are finally home, like they're, they're like, oh, finally you're here. And they're just all over you and they're jumping all over the furniture and you know, I've had some owners say, well, I'll get a small dog and it won't be that big of a deal. I'm telling you right now, that's not the way to look at this. You need to look at the dog's needs on the surface. Can you meet their emotional needs and can you meet their physical needs? And financial, financially, you know, can you support the bills that go with it? I don't foresee that being um, a problem. In the description of your email, it seems like you're trying to get your ducks in a row. But to answer your question, no, I wouldn't get a second dog. Um, I, in my opinion, wouldn't get the first dog until my schedule adjusted. You know, um, I, I understand the desire to do that. And I think that, you know, you're, you're reaching in the right direction, but I just think realistically a puppy needs one-on-one -on -one. puppy, you know, if something were to happen in the midst of the day to the puppy and they had a, like a breathing issue and you didn't have anybody coming to check on the dog, you would never know when you'd come home to a dog that was absent. You know, and that's putting it lightly. And things like that do happen. Um, I'm seeing more and more uh, both rescues, adoption centers, and breeders, so not both, but um, all of the above, are looking more carefully at people's availability for dogs. You know, they're being a little bit more discerning. And I think that is a good thing. It doesn't make placement faster, but it makes the home more realistic because, you know, to head off anxiety, you know, separation anxiety, or to head off having to get the dog back, uh, because, you know, it's destroying the house because it's bored, or not getting enough, you know, things like that start before they ever go home. So uh, looking forward, you know, it might be something where either if your schedules aren't going to adjust, you go, okay, well, maybe this isn't the right animal. You know, I, I rarely recommend cats. But in your situation, I mean, a cat can be a great companion, but then when you're gone, they're fine with it and they're not going to be destroying your place, um, at least speaking generally. So I, I'm not saying that it's, it, it, it's a horrible idea. I'm saying it's not the right time based on what you're telling me. Um, you know, 
with all the pieces in place, that dog isn't going to have the time to bond with you guys. A couple hours a night is not enough, um, and maybe an hour in the morning. And keep in mind, you know, if you get them into the habit of using potty pads and things, you're not there to reward that. So you're not even going to be marking the stuff that he's doing right or she's doing right in your absence. So there's a whole day of training where your dog's basically going to be expected to be sedentary. Well, puppies just aren't. You know, they need to get that energy out. They need to have that human interaction. They need to learn things. They need to work their mind actively because otherwise they're either going to be self-mutilators, they're going to be um, more uh, dominant over their space. You know, I've seen dogs that are left on their own for too long in a day and they don't have enough reinforcement. And as a result, they start guarding their crates. Um, you can have that same problem with them guarding your house. You know, the barrier is not the problem. The problem is the lack of communication and interaction, um, that the dog has to go on. But as the dog gets a little older, you could think of something like a doggy daycare. Um, I know that that is, you know, in the places that I've worked and the clients I've worked with who do have very chaotic schedules, uh, that was a great solution for them. Their dog was happy and got interaction. Some, um, uh, board and train facilities offer like daily training. So you could do something like that. So this way you're stimulating the dog's mind. But again, you have to make sure they finish their so shot series before that's even on the table. So in the meantime, you know, if you're not going to have any time off work or even worse, you know, you're going to have a, a really busy schedule. I just don't foresee a dog fitting into it at this stage. Um, but if you're willing to make those accommodations and you're willing to, to take a really hard look at what a dog will need, you know, a dog doesn't just need attention, food and a place to live and, 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 and that's it. They need a lot of, of feedback, constructive feedback so that they can grow in the right direction and not just happen into the right behaviors. You know, could you end up with a dog that's got really low energy and is like, all right, whatever. Yeah, you could. But in the first seven months, that's not going to be any dog you take home. Every dog you take home in the first seven months is going to need a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. And for the mention, the reasons I mentioned earlier, you're going to have potty training issues. You're going to have social issues. The dog isn't going to have an outlet. So um, you need to think about this from, from the top down. Uh, I'm not saying that you would be bad owners and I'm, I'm certainly not saying that I don't want you to have a dog. I'm just saying that, you know, dogs do have needs that realistically, if, if they're not met, those things become big things, whether they're anxiety or aggression or withdrawal, you know, dogs get depressed just like people. If you had nobody speaking to you or doing anything with you and you were just laying around all day, sooner or later, your body would catch up to the feeling of depression. It happens with dogs too. Um, so just keep all that, all of that in mind. I wish you all of the luck. And, um, after you've kind of marinated on all of that, you know, feel free to email me back and, uh, if you have more specific questions about a plan that might work or perhaps a uh, if you had specific breeds in mind. But, you know, when you're talking about uh, dogs in general, puppies, just they need that one on one adult dogs. You know, you can get away with a little bit more senior dogs. You know, they've already seen it, done it, and, and they're kind of winding down. So uh, but puppies for sure are going to need uh, one on one in training and access outside and potty pads are not potty training. So, you know, you need to make sure, like I said, you wouldn't even be there to reward him and say, okay, that's the right place. So you, you're not building any sort of house training schedule except in the fractional time that you're home.
And again, for those listening, um, you know, if you have a, a full schedule in your work week and you're going, well, my dog is fine. Well, maybe they are fine. But speaking generally, especially as a puppy, emotionally, they still go through a process of withdrawal. Uh, you might not have been around for it, but realistically, we've seen it. You know, puppies, it's what, one of the reasons why a lot of breeders now are sending home uh, blankets with their with their puppies that smell like litter mates or something that smells like the mother dog because that the absence of connection is really strong. And I would recommend in, the, in your absence, if you are gone quite a bit a day, uh, that your dog, you work towards the point where your dog does have free access over the house so that they can explore things and do things, but not get into things and, and be in danger. So um, just temper this piece of advice and understand that I don't expect everybody to uh, not go to work you know, or I don't expect you to be, you know, working from home to have a dog. That's not what I'm saying. But a 10 hour day with no human interaction, that's really unfair to the to a puppy. Okay, our next question is from Rochelle. And she says, Hello, Victoria, I have a few things I need help with. I've been listening to your podcast recently and have implemented your advice in helping me with my new rescue pup. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> His name is Ren, and he is the sweetest. I attached pictures. The pound said he's about a year old and a Border Collie mix. They found him roaming near a park in Utah. The vet said he is possibly husky because he's very dramatic. Haha. <laughs> uh, although Ren is a wonderful, smart dog, he loves to play, cuddle, other people and dogs. He does like to bark before he sees other people and dogs and doesn't know how and won't heal and leave it. He pulls on the leash when he normally doesn't. I've been practicing making him sit and stay when feeding or opening doors and letting him out of his kennel. He has been doing better, but I feel like there's more that I could be doing to help. Ren is also very, very smart. In the morning while I'm in the shower, my significant other takes Ren out to put him in his kennel. Uh, my significant other takes Ren out and puts him in his kennel. As soon as he gets in, he starts barking about five minutes in his kennel. When he hears me coming up the stairs to try and correct the issue, he stops. I have tried ignoring him, and he still barks for hours and hours. Um, on my days off, I tried working on it and rewarding him when he stopped, but I, but while I was home, he barked for three hours and stopped for about an hour and then continued as soon as I left the room all day long. I was going to try keeping him in his kennel nearby the bed at night and slowly move it farther away, but I don't want to keep him in the kennel all night long and during the day while we're at work. At this point, I feel so lost. Ren has done this ever since I got him. While in the car, he whines nonstop and sometimes even barks. He would constantly run back and forth uh, from the front to the back of my car. I had to get a backseat hammock, which I just made him which just made him jump over it, on a seatbelt harness for him to stop. But he still whines and barks. Again, I tried to ignore him, but the whole hour and a half car ride to the vet, he barked. The whole hour and a half to the vet, he barked. The whole way. I got a moose antler for him to chew on in the back seat, but he acts like it's not even there. Uh, I even got a Kong toy, and he would play with it if I filled it up for about 10 minutes while I was playing with it. Uh, he would rub his head... I would, or while he was playing with it, I would rub his head and tell him he was a good boy, but he would continue barking or whining very loud. I even would just take him on rides around the block and the house to see if he wasn't just used to rides, but no luck. I have always had a boxer, pug, Boston Terrier, and none of them really ever barked, so it's safe to say I have no idea what else to do. Please help, Rochelle. Okay. 
So, um, she had one additional question, which she added later, and she says, a question I totally forgot to ask. He also poops and walks at the same time. Why? <laughs> this amuses me, but at the same time annoys me because instead of picking up one lump, it's like I have to get my steps in and search for a bunch of little poops. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. So, I'm going to take these, this piece by piece. So, border collie mixes, I'm going to tell you right away, really intelligent dogs. They try and work the system. They are also uh, a breed that I've seen more anxiety-based behaviors, whether they're obsessive behaviors, whether they're um, nervous behaviors, whether they're, they're reactive behaviors, uh, whether they're prey drive behaviors. I see a lot more in border collies. And I would have to say, I think that is because they're so intelligent and their mind is always on, you know, 10 times speed, what every other breed I've seen will do. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're the, the most intelligent dog. Um, and I only say that because I believe that that's a case by case basis. I don't think I, I would say that they can definitely command it when it comes to learning things at a quick turn. So, um, Speaking of Ren specifically, uh, when you're talking about uh, him being very dramatic, I think that that is part of your issue. I think that he has uh, probably never had any of this addressed. And being that he's a year old, having no feedback, um, you can see a lot of those pacing behaviors. It's possible that before he came to you, he was kind of cooped up. And then you see a lot, like if you if he was in... Um, like one of those outdoor pens or in a fenced-in area and left to run back and forth all day, you see those behaviors surface in other areas, one of them being the car. Um, I don't know what your setup is like for him now and what his li life is like at home, uh, but I would be curious to know what, what his daily dynamic with you is like. Um, is he crated? And if he is, what is, how does he behave in the crate? Does he pace? Um, how does he behave in the yard or on a walk when you stand still on – and he's on the leash, does he, you know, just dart from one end to the other, or will he settle down on his own? That would be an interesting um, experiment for you to try. Uh, when it comes to his impulse control issue, okay, um, and barking at seeing other people, you're probably going to have to work that at a distance and have him, and, and not close in. You know, the fact that people are going to pass is going to be its own stimuli, Um the fact that you saw a little improvement, but not full relaxation, I would start, I would do a whole training session at a di distance if I could, you know, try and gauge his threshold. How far away do you have to be? Uh, and then once you've done that, go ahead and do a whole training session at that distance. And if he checks out, then you need to be further away and work from that distance. He probably, you're probably closing distances a little too quickly for his mind to really, really understand that he has to disengage. Because if you're still fighting him a little bit um, to get his attention, then, and he's still checking out, you're not far enough away from the stimuli. Now, if there's somebody coming at you, then go ahead and turn and go the other direction. If there isn't a teachable moment, then you need to go ahead and, and pack up shop and go home. So that's my, my two cents on that. Uh, being that he was wandering, I would almost assume that he was probably penned up somewhere and or kept in a yard. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these reactive behaviors. Wouldn't be the worst idea to start socializing him more closely, maybe in a group class environment, because he needs to learn, um, 
how to be in a closer proximity and not react and seeing other dogs do that and having the aid of a trainer to help, you know, keep him in check and, and help tweak things as you're going along could be a really enriching experience for both of you. And it doesn't have to be the best of the best class. You know, a, a positive reinforcement class at PetSmart could serve you really, really well because he may not have been socialized at all. And that could definitely act to act to um, the anxiety you're seeing, the react reactivity you're seeing, the uh, the the whining that doesn't seem to end. He has to he has to kind of close in on his fears before you're going to fix it in the other areas you're seeing it. I don't even think the car is an addressable moment right now. You're not even at car status right now. You're at okay. We need him to be more comfortable with strangers and people and getting comfortable with. Um, doing a whole session, not getting what he wants, which is to close in. I don't think he necessarily wants to be aggressive. He likes them, uh, but he doesn't know how not to make it his idea. You know, you have to be the the master and commander on that one. Be like, no, 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 we're not actually going to go visit. We're going to do a whole training session. And even if you only get it done because they finally left and you just didn't leave your spot, that's okay. Because you didn't give up and you didn't evacuate. And as long as, you know, they're not walking their dog up to you while you're trying to train it, um, then then you're in good shape. Uh, as far as him whining, this is the Border Collie problem-solving stuff that I'm so keen to. Um, him barking in his crate after your significant other crates him. That is him trying to manipulate. <laughs> I don't think dogs are um, malicious at all, but they definitely know environment and they can tell when they're triggering you and they can tell when they're getting their way. And so when he hears those footsteps, he goes, oh, mom's coming. Things are going to work out. Now, moving the crate closer to you is a good start. Um, but unfortunately, I can tell you that dogs that are really, really committed to that behavior like you just described, uh, he, he may not. He might not give it up. He might not stop barking. I say that because um, I have run into, let's see, probably a good 10 dogs in my whole career, uh, one of which I lived with, that when it came to barking in the crate, it wasn't stopping. There was no stopping it. Just no stopping it. I mean, the only other option I would have had would have been a bark collar, and um I've made it kind of clear that that's not the direction I prefer to go. So I worked on things like getting the dog to be as well-mannered in my absence as possible, meaning that ultimately I was trying to get rid of the crate so this way we didn't have that trigger. Now, is that solving the problem? Eh, it depends on who you ask. No, I never got the dog to the point where, um, you know, he was silent in a crate. But was he silent in the house? Surprisingly, yes. Uh, in his case, he was. So, you know, but you're seeing this behavior surface in so many areas. I very, I really do not think um, it has very much to do with, um, with anxiety or the crate specifically. I think he has a lack of exposure. Um, I think if you keep this, the crate beside you and he just doesn't get his way, you may see this behavior surface. So that would be another little experiment to, to try. You know, if you put the crate right beside you, uh, is he, is, does he calm himself all day? I would, I'm not sure what he'll do because, you know, in the car, he still seems to freak out with you right there. So, 
Um, something to give a try. And and definitely write back to me, um, dogguru here for you at gmail.com. Let's see. Um, with the whining in the car, what you might try is actually now I know this sounds like putting two evils together. Um, and I don't know that it'll work, but blinders sometimes help when it's a stimuli issue. So you might think about taking the crate. I don't know how big of a dog, um, he is and how big your car is, but if you could get the crate in the car and have like a towel over it and every time, like start with him having a visual out the window, uh, where he can see or, or just, you know, out of his crate. So he kind of knows what's going on. And then as soon as he starts, you know, barking and whining, go ahead and cover him up. And then when he's quiet, you know, and, and do your same thing with the Kong. Go ahead and freeze the peanut butter and the Kong overnight. So it takes him a little bit longer. And in that time, there's some absorption absorption that's happening. You know, he's going to, at least for 10 minutes, get around the block with you and have a visual. Now, when he starts getting whiny and can't walk around and pace like crazy, you're going to go ahead and put the blinder down so your towel's going to cover his crate. And you say nothing to him until he is quiet. If he isn't quiet, I would I would park the car and see if he goes quiet. See if it's the movement that triggers him or the restriction. We're, we need to figure out what the triggers are so that you can go about neutralizing them. Because it sounds like you were already doing a lot of the things that I've recommended before. So now we need to tweak it and figure out what is it that is setting him off. Or is he just so excited? You know, dogs whine when they're excited. Um, you know, is he just so excited that this isn't actual stress? I mean, it manifests a lot of the same way. Um, but is he just so excited because he only goes good places? Is he, you know, when you talk about going to the vet, is he so nervous that he's pacing because he's dreading it? Do you ever take him somewhere positive? Um, things to think about. Little food for, for thought there. Um, I definitely understand that, you know, with, with boxers and pugs in Boston, they're not generally huge barkers. I've got a French bulldog, so I, I understand. Contrastly, I have a Newfoundland, and I'm going to tell you, the pipes on this dog are unreal. When I, when, when I initially started um, crate training him, it was delayed because when he was a very, very young puppy and first came to us, he drank the water in a flower pot uh, that like residue and ended up with a bacterial infection. Well, I'm here, <laughs> uh, I'm here, you know, a couple of months later and he's just now, his system is just now normalizing, normalizing from the bacteria that we were fighting with, you know, I was taking him to the vet constantly over this. So, um, you know, little things can become big things. You know, what started as, oh, he just has diarrhea became a whole training problem. It delayed his whole training process. And when you're talking about uh, commitment to other behaviors, well, you know, when you start interrupting training in one area, it can affect other areas. So, um, you know, then we started seeing behaviors like, you know, jumping on doors and things like that. You know, dogs have an awareness of their, of, of their effect on us. Dogs key into what's going on with us. So it, to me, it's really important to keep yourself in check. It is difficult when a dog is barking, 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 barking to stay calm. And um, there are some dogs that you can teach them to bark it out by going in and out of the house, you know, taking breaks or whatever. But there are some dogs, and I've had one, that just was never going to stop barking in the crate. Now, if I put up a baby gate, he was fine. You know, he didn't care. But it was something about the crate 
that the, it was a no-go. So just kind of take the, the individual you have in front of you. Also know that, the, you know, training is a long-term process. He may not show the kind of um, shift you're looking for in the first couple of months because he's had a year of just being left to his own devices, probably has very little feedback. And as smart as he is, he's got to do what emotionally suits him best. So I think, you know, giving him some blinders in the car might help you. Um, and uh, just take take it one day at a time and then follow up with me. Let me know how it's going. Okay. Our, our last question comes from Aubrey, and she writes, Hi, Victoria. I'm a newer listener trying to find some help. I live with my boyfriend and his two dogs that are Pitt and Pyrenees mixes. They're three years old, and I have my own Pitt hound mix who is four. The problem we have been working on for the past year are his dogs are his dogs because they have a tendency to fight each other or my dog. The fights are usually out of the blue and not as common as they used to be. An example of what I mean goes like this. Sunday morning, they were both out in the yard and it went from them playing and running around to a full on fight. It takes two people to be able to pull them apart and separate but once they are allowed to see each other again, they obsessively lick each other. I've worked on socializing them individually for the past year because they tend to hype each other up and I don't want someone in, in public getting bit or their dog getting bit. When they are separate, they almost act like a different dog. They're like sisters. Oh, they are sisters and have been together all their life and they just turned three. It's very rare now that they fight my dog since I'm able to feed them all in the same room now. My dog was a rescue, so protective of food. I always stay in the room while they eat and make sure whoever gets done comes and sits in front of me while the others finish. They all love car, car rides and going over to my mom's house while she she has a pack of four other dogs to play with. Now, this took one month to get them used to the other dogs. So I'm not sure what else I need to do to help them calm down when they're when the fights are getting harder to spot when they're triggered. Okay, so you touched on something that I've uh, brought up a couple of times on my podcast, but this is actually part of littermate syndrome, um, and you can Google it. Littermate syndrome is something that's been written about quite a bit now, uh, but littermate syndrome is something you need to have some awareness about. There needs to be a very clear hierarchy, and without it, they try and establish and reestablish boundaries, and because they've been together since the beginning... Their bond is also, that uh, can be the bane of their existence. It can really cause turmoil in the relationship because neither of them wants to back down. Um, you know, they already know one another's limits. So it's normal, you know, as sisters do to see how far they push it until somebody else intervenes. Now, here's uh, what I would do immediately. I would go ahead and call a trainer. Uh, somebody who focuses on behavior um and specifically, dog-to-dog uh, aggression. And explain that they are littermates. Say that up front. Because that adds another layer to this. And if you're speaking to a behaviorist who doesn't have any understanding of what uh, you're bringing up, then that's not the right fit. You need somebody who's knowledgeable. This isn't something that I want you to solve based on my advice at home on your own. And the reason for that is because you mentioned that it's getting harder and harder to tell what's triggering it, which is why you need a prof professional. They need to come in and get a scope of your daily life, a picture that I couldn't possibly get through email. 
And while I do want to help you, and I do even think that this could be salvageable, I think without a professional's hands, uh, you know, diving into this with you, I think it could be disastrous, especially since, you know, the dogs are getting exposure in other areas. So that, you know, if they get opportunistic, even if they are only going at one another, when they go over to your mom's house, the other dogs could be eventually triggered if they were having a fight because dogs react to energy. So even if those dogs have no, you know, history of getting at them or anything like that, you'll see it in a dog park. Dogs can get into it, then it becomes one-on-one, then it's five-on-one. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to go through that. So my, my best advice to you right now is go ahead and look into a animal behaviorist, somebody who has either a background in, um, you know, canine behavior uh, and, and psychology and or a medical background with with a focus in behavior. So somebody who um, is not just a general run-of-the-mill trainer. You also don't want somebody to come in and be like, well, you have to be, you know, really strong, you know, really alpha with them. No, you don't want that either. You want somebody who's going to figure out what your home life uh, dynamic looks like and what needs tweaking, what is setting them off. Because at three years old, if they've been having fights all along, that may be something that does not extinguish. And now it's just a ticking time bomb. If this is something that has started later on, it may be something where you can work away from it. But there is no way you'll you'll really know um, what the proper treatment plan, or I would know even, the proper treatment plan um would be in this context, I, you know, I could make a dozen suggestions, but you could end up, you know, writing back to the show as little as 24 hours later and be like, well, now we're at the ER with one of the dogs. And I don't want to see that happen. Uh, your, my best advice right now is to give them their individual time because you already know that individually one-on-one they're great. Um, so work from that point. Is it ideal? No. But the drawback to having a multi-dog household is sometimes you have to handle things individually and you can't give them access to one another no matter how much they want it. So my, my professional advice is keep them separated until you get an actual professional involved. Uh, somebody that can take the temperature of the situation, answer your questions, you know, and give you a roadmap of what this needs to look like for everybody to be emotionally sound and safe. Because working you away from this problem based on an email or, or a comment, while I'm so grateful you left it, by the way, um, I feel would be unfair to you and your dogs. My best advice right now is go ahead and split them up. Um, and I would stop taking road trips over to your mom's with them together. You know, if you want to switch out dogs, and, and that would be fine. But I feel that this is just a time bomb situation right now. And... Um, you know, what may seem like, well, you know, they're not doing it over there. That's not their territory. Well, yeah, it's not, but aggression escalates and this is still aggression. It's not, you know, they're just taking it and recklessly going anywhere, but they could easily, you know, go from fighting with each other. Another dog gets involved or another person goes to split it up and then they've got a bite history, you know, then they turn and they bite somebody else who's just trying to you know, either one of the dogs are trying to get involved or somebody's trying to break them up. And it does happen. Um, you definitely don't want that in, in their history if you can avoid it. So for now, and as far as finding um, a trainer with, with credentials like that, you might try the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. You also, um, you know, I 
like to find somebody who has reviews. And in your case specifically, you need to talk to previous clients um, who have had success long term. It, even better if they have a lot of experience with pit bulls. You know, I know pit bulls have a bad rap as it is. And people listening could be like, well, it's pit bulls. What do you expect? Well, I expect a lot more. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, being a pit bull has nothing to do with seeing aggression. I see aggression in every breed. Um, I've seen violent aggression in every breed. It's just bigger jaws mean bigger bigger bites. That's all. That's, that's really it. So um, please don't get into that that breed hating drama, um, that we're not here for that. Uh, I want to educate everybody and I don't care what breed you have or what mix of breed you have or how you acquire the dog. I am here to help you. Um, but in this situation, the, the only way I should be helping you is referring is to make you aware that this problem is as volatile as it is. And that, you know, what I could miss and outline for you could cause more problems. You know, I could be like, oh, we'll do this, this, and this. And then, like I said, you know, 12 hours later, you have a huge fight on your hands. You still need a professional. Now, outside of myself, I'm a professional, but I can't come to your home. So that's the trade-off. Um, you know, when dealing specifically with aggression and and dog-on-dog littermate syndrome, <laughs> that's that's a different later layer to things. And um also, one thing you did mention that I think would be good to touch on really quick, having the sisters eat in the same room is not a good idea. I would definitely have them, even if you just, even if you have the other dogs all eating together, um, ideally you'd have them eating in separate areas altogether, but at least have the sisters split up. You never know. Um, I like your system and having them come back to, the, to you to sit. That's a really responsible protocol you've set up, but it's not foolproof. And dogs are fast and, and they can be really oppor- opportunistic. Um, but it sounds like there are some hierarchy issues and establishing boundaries between them and you will probably help relieve some of that. But to know what is really the underlying beef Uh, a trainer is going to have to come in with behavioral experience. Somebody who specializes in behavior like I did would be an ideal fit. You don't want to be taking them um, somewhere else either because you need somebody to have a picture of your home life so that they can really find a plan that's going to work for your dynamic. All right. That's it for me today, everybody. Um, If you have any questions of your own, and would like to send them to me, it's dogguru here for you at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please check out my t-shirts. We have merchandise, mugs, laptop cases, phone cases. Um, anything you buy supports the show, and I appreciate that. Or if you want to send uh, money directly um, and send a donation in, you can do that at paypal.me forward slash your dog guru. I would certainly appreciate it. Um, Also, if you like the show and you listen to us on iTunes, if you wouldn't mind dropping us a rating and a review, I would so appreciate it. We definitely want our audience to get more and more involved, and I'm seeing more people um, join uh, the Dog Guru Hounds on Facebook, which is great. So be sure to show, share the group with your friends. Anybody who has a dog is welcome. They don't have to be a listener of the show. We can share stories and links and photos of your dogs, all that good stuff. Um, so stay involved and find us on Facebook, Dog Guru Hounds. That's a group. And then we also have um, Dog Guru has its own page. So you can find us that way as well. 
that's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.